right. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, we're going to be in the book of Acts. We just wrapped up our time in the book of book uh, First Kings, and now we're going back to book of Acts. Uh, we started this series actually in 2021. So this is the third year we're coming back to the book of Acts, and this was intentional from the design. Uh, and really, in 2001, we started this title, this this series titled "Reimagining Jesus's Community." Uh, and, and really, the reason for every year going back to the book of Acts for a chunk at a time is that we wanted to spend time as a community um, together, a season throughout the year, thinking about what does it mean to be a church. I remember 2001, out of COVID, the definition of church and how we uh, engaged as congregation members to the church was very different, right? Post-COVID, whether it was online whether it was online groups. And we really wanted, not simply thinking about what does it mean to go back to on-site service, but really think about what does it mean to be a church. And so this is the third year, and we're in Acts chapter 13, if you have your Bibles. And we're going to be going through uh, next seven to eight weeks, uh, the chunk of the book of Acts. Uh, But the book of Acts, very interesting. We have four Gospels. That, that launches the New Testament passage, but only one follow-up to these Gospels, right? Matthew, Luke, Mark, John, four different Gospel accounts by four different authors, but we only have one book of Acts follow-up to this wonderful go- these wonderful Gospel accounts. Many scholars argue there's only one account, the follow-up account, because What's happened in the first 30 years of the church, which is covered by the book of Acts, is near impossible to describe. And in fact, it's only Luke who may have been the only person daring enough to take on such a daunting task to tell the story. So we have the book of Acts, the explosive growth that the book of Acts talks about. The supernatural move of God, the healing, the disruptive nature of the gospel. Uh, Luke, we're told that he was a physical, he was a trained physician. That was his job before he began to write and go on these missionary journeys with Paul and other people. He's someone who was actually sponsored to do the research, to, to look into all these testimonies, to write try to write accurately about the first 30 years of the church. And what what I really appreciate about the book of Acts is it helps us, even as a pastor doing ministry, I've done, you know, leading a church, being part of a church for many years, you know, we can make church something else, right? And it's not anything dramatic as you do church, as we gather as a church, as we lead this community. We can solely not intentionally, come off the real vision of what, why God created the church to be. And I love the book of Acts because it realigns us. It helps us to return to the original design of what church was meant to be. So with that, here's a quick summary of where we are in Acts chapter 13. All right, just to catch us up, uh, if this is your first time looking at the book of Acts this year. Chapter 2 was an important event called Pentecost in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples at this day of Pentecost, enabling them to speak in different languages, to be able to preach in different languages. Following the Pentecost, Peter preaches this sermon. 
And these people that didn't understand Peter's language begins to understand, and thousands of people that day come to faith. Chapter 3 and 4, Peter and John perform miraculous healing, and they're arrested and questioned by religious leaders, right? People are freaking out. Who is Peter? Who is, what are they doing? And they boldly proclaim Jesus despite warning from these religious leaders. Chapters 8 and 9, we were there last year, persecution scatters believers. It wasn't like believers wanted to go out and preach the gospel. It was through persecution, God sends people out. The gospel moves out of the original cities. Philip converts an Ethiopian eunuch. Saul, a staunch persecutor of Christians, hears the voice of Jesus on the road to Damascus and then becomes the Apostle Paul. Chapters 10 and 11, Peter has a vision. He has a dream. And in the dream, someone tells him to eat these unclean things. And, and, and Peter continues to struggle with his dream and then realize that God has heart not only for the Jews, but also for non-Jews, that Gentiles are invited, and that Paul, he has been called to take on that work. And chapter 12, a chapter before the passage we'll go over today, uh, Peter is persecuted, put in prison. James is martyred. And an angel miraculously frees Peter from prison. At the end of the chapter, King Herod is judged. I believe uh, Elder Charles spoke on that last summer, and that was where we ended it. We're picking up from chapter 13. So this is where we pick up the story. Acts chapter 13, we'll go verses 1 to 12 today. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 12. Let me read for us. Now, there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Syrian, Manain, a lifelong friend of Herod, the patriarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from where they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Patmos, they, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul to, and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas... The magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who also was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and, and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight path of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun, for a time, immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the preconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teach, teaching of the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. 
two things from our text, and I'm going to have to be quick because of the testimony. It'll be a 20-minute thing. Two things. One, the role of the Holy Spirit that we very clearly see in the text. And two, the power of the Holy Spirit. So one, verses 1 and one to 3 in the chapter 13 marks an important shift in the mission of the church. This is a, this is a significant event. And the key leaders, all the key leaders of the church at the time have gathered in the city of Antioch to worship, to pray, perhaps to seek the Lord about what's next. And verse 2 tells us, while they were praying and worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit speaks. The, the very Spirit that began the birth of the church speaks to the leaders, telling them to set apart Barnabas and Paul, for, for, for the Holy Spirit has a plans for them to send them out. Even if it wasn't clear enough, not simply through our passage in chapter 13, but throughout the book from chapters 1 to 12, Luke wants to make it known it is not Paul, it is not Barnabas, it is not Peter, it is not the apostles, but it is the Holy Spirit who continues to drive the story. In fact, many people would coin this book, the book of Acts, as not Acts of the Apostles, but really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, very clearly, even in our chapter, is a viral, ongoing, vital, ongoing presence in the life of Christian community, guiding, empowering believers. That was true from the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, and it still stands true in chapter 13. Well, we just shared about our trip to Mongolia. Elise did a great job. Ryan and Gina share uh, what God has shown them. Um, and you may say, why Mongolia? Right? When I tell people, hey, our church is going to Mongolia, people are like, Mongolia? Like Cambodia, Thailand, why Mongolia? Uh, last couple years, God, God has put in my heart you know, we lead this church and we've been praying about what's next for us out of COVID. It's, hey, let's see, one second. I'm going in and out. One thing, uh, one thing that God put on my heart is, hey, can we find another country outside of Nepal to be able to invest, to be able to not just make a trip out there, but a long-term uh, heart for our church. And God always, I, I just didn't know where. Last fall, I was in Thailand for a different conference. I was representing a different organization. Um, and I happened to meet some of the Mongolian brothers and sisters that were at the conference. And one brother, who was a leader of an organization in Mongolia, we started, he looks Korean, I look Mongolian, right? It was like, it was a funny thing. Like, oh, you look Mongolian, oh, you look Korean, right? And we just, we're just doing dinner, just catching up, doing free time. And he was just like, hey, you want to come and see Mongolia? Because I was like, dude, I, I went to Mongolia 20 years ago, and I love Mongolia. He's like, hey, you want to come and see, you know, not just with our organization, but you want to see? And I was like, yeah. I was just like, yeah, of course. You know, those like small things. Yeah, yeah, I'll go and see, right? Uh, earlier this year, I get an email from this guy saying, hey, do you want to come to Mongolia? I'm like, okay, right? So I was like, okay, let, let's see. So I reached out to my other pastor friend who's a local church pastor of another international church in the city. And I said, hey, James, you want to go to Mongolia? James is like, why Mongolia? I was like, I don't know. Uh, I want to see, and in our conversation, obviously there was enough where I felt like, hey, I want to see what God is doing in Mongolia. I want to see uh, what 
what we can do as a church if, you know, God ever called us long term to, to really serve the, the, city, the country of Mongolia. So I went in May and, you know, it was like three days. We packed our schedule. We saw so many different ministries and really felt like when I was there, hey, um, we visited a lot of homes and different things. And I didn't even mean to visit the home that we visited this time. I just remember one of my classmates, Sunday, and he was in Mon- back in Mongolia doing ministry. So I just reached out to him. I was like, hey, man, I'm in Ulaanbaatar. Uh, you know, let's grab coffee if you're free. And Sunday's like, hey, I'll pick you up tomorrow morning. Let's go. I'll show you what we're doing. And I just felt like throughout every step, right, as we were, I was seeking the Lord about, hey, what's next for us? How can we invest in a world mission? God made it, made it really clear uh, through different events and circumstances. So when I came back from my vision trip, I shared with the elders, I shared with the church. And I was thinking at best, like next year, maybe we'll be able to put a team together to go to Mongolia, right? And then Yuna and Eunice, they're like, we're going to go this year. I'm like, I just came back, right? And they were really excited. And I just saw the way God was speaking to different group of people. And, uh, and when we went this time, as Gina and Ryan and Elise shared, we really felt called. And as a church, let's pray. Let's continue to pray about what's next. I don't think it, this was a one-off trip. I think there's more work, work to be done. Uh, but we really have to seek the Lord and say, Lord, again, we don't want to be a savior. God is already doing amazing things in Mongolia. If we're invited, uh, we should be honored, right? So, um, and in that way, just like our passage, God setting aside Barnabas and Paul for, for ministry, I really feel like that's how God moves. Notice in our passage, these men didn't sit down and they didn't meet in this, the city of Antioch for, to strategize and to plan for the next 20 years or think through how they can grow the movement. They could have done that, right? Instead, these men, these leaders, they've gathered, they worship, and they pray. That's what verses 1 to 3 tells us. And the Holy Spirit spoke to them very clearly about what to do next. Right, today, there's a temptation for churches and Christian organizations to be so heavily focused on being strategic. Like strategy is, is, is the, what everybody desires. Right? What's your strategy? What's your vision? What's your purpose? In an increasingly secular and materialistic world, church can often feel pressure to adapt modern management, uh, mo- mo- modern management marketing techniques to attract and retain members and grow and move forward. And we turn to strategies borrowed by the, the business world, such as branding, advertising, marketing research to make decisions. Like, and I read these, you know, when I was planting a church, there were a bunch of church planting books written by prominent Christian leaders. And I couldn't tell the difference between church strategy books and like leadership strategy books, they seem very similar. It was almost like I could run a company, I could run the church. Not that strategies and these things are bad, but when we go back to the scripture, it's very clear those things cannot determine how we move forward as Jesus' community. Again, these are not inherently wrong, and, and those are good things that we can adopt, but those cannot supersede what the God is speaking through us, to us, amongst us. Otherwise, we're going to do a lot of work, but we're going to be doing wrong work, or we're going to be in the wrong place. 
So really, as a church, we need to continue to pray, worship, and even fast. Maybe end of this year, we'll call a fast for our community. I'm not talking about just media, maybe food, to really seek the Lord. Because right now, we're in a season of thinking through our mission, vision, and values. You know, and, and, and I, I, it, it, this can't be just elders that are doing this. I think as a community, when we invite you, I hope we can do this together. Amen? And, and Scripture tells us they just prayed. They just worshipped. It wasn't a strategic meeting. It was God and Holy Spirit spoke clearly to them. And there was an affirmation among the group of men. And said, let's set aside Barnabas and Paul. And as we do that, we will be able to discern the very heart of God through the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16, 17, this is what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. He says, and I'll ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because he neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus says, every believer... When they confess that Jesus is Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit in us. And we each have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And Jesus tells us this is Jesus' desire for the church. To be what? To be people of God that are living according to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.26 Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we... For we do not know what to pray as we ought, for the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Paul comes along, the same Paul in our passage says, not only this Holy Spirit dwells in us, but even in our most desperate situations when we are lost for words, when we have no strength to even pray, the Spirit prays to the Father for us. Isn't that encouraging? When we get to a place where we're like, Lord, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know how to pray. When I think about what's happening in the Middle East this week, you know, we're in Mongolia last Sunday. I got up. Charles got up. Elder Charles is like, hey, did you see the news? I'm like, what news? And I, and all week, I'm just, I cannot take my eyes off the news and what's happening. I, and, and I'm just hearing the stories and people that are displaced. And I, I'm like, I don't even know what to pray, Lord. And the encouragement is that the Holy Spirit prays for us, even when we don't have words to pray. So friends, whatever weakness, worries, challenges that is crashing in your life, or ways that are crashing in your life, remember you have the Spirit in you, and He prays for you. Even when we don't pray, the Spirit prays for you. Friends, He empowers us when we feel utterly powerless. He guides us when we feel utterly lost. He convicts us of our sins when we become, we have become hardened by them. And he enables you and I when we are all but ready to give up. And he does this for the Father's glory. That's what the scripture says. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Second, the power of the Holy Spirit. Everyone see the power. Verse 4 to 12. Very interesting story. Barnabas and Paul being sent on a mission by the Holy Spirit now goes and they, they go on this missionary journey, very first missionary journey. And as they embark on their journey, they encounter two, two men. A man named Bar-Jesus and another man named 
named Paluas, who's, who's a proconsul of the colony that Paul and Barnabas find themselves in. The Bar Jesus, his other name is Elumis, as Luke tells us in our passage. He was a false prophet. He's described as a magician. He's not just some like magician performing at birthday parties. He is a man who is using these demonic powers to lead other people away for profit, right? There were many false prophets at the time. He was one of them. And his actions clearly opposed the teachings of Jesus because when Paul and Barnabas arrived in the city, they find this man, Elymas, leading this proconsul away from faith. That's what the scripture tells us. The proconsul, Sergius Paulus, held a high-ranking position in the Roman government within this province. He appears to be a man of great influence and wisdom. Luke informs us that it was him who invited Paul and Barnabas because he wanted to hear more about the Word of God. So when Barnabas arrived to the scene, Paul seeing what this false prophet is doing, right, leading this proconsul away from faith, rebukes him, confronts him, calling him, you son of devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit, right? Will you not stop making crooked the straight path of the Lord? Paul doesn't mince words here. He directly addresses this man's evil and then tells him, you're going to be blind for a time and someone else is is going to have to lead you away. Something Paul experienced himself. Remember, when Paul was, what, the, the, he, was a, he was going on these trips to, to, to put Christians in jail, prison. What happened to him? On the road to Damascus, Paul became blind. Jesus spoke to him. And someone had to lead him. And Paul says in the same way, you're going to experience what I've experienced. And verse 12 tells us, seeing the display of the power. Seeing this false prophet become blind at the word of Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the proconsul comes to faith. Verse 12 tells us the proconsul believed when he saw that that had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. See, when we talk about supernatural work of God, some of us love it, some of us get real uncomfortable. You know, like supernatural of God, right? When, when people pray for healing, you may, I don't know about you, it makes me uncomfortable because I have seen a lot of supernatural work being abused, misused for someone's fame, someone's profit, or almost like people treating these people with gifts like they are, they're like a psychic or they are, they're, they're someone with this great power. Or some of us, you were never exposed to these experiences, right? You you know, in, in your, when you're growing up in your church, no one ever taught about the Holy Spirit. We simply acknowledge that He was part of the Trinity, but He's not invited to a worship service. Yet, in the Scripture, it's very clear that there are times God reveals Himself in, in ways that we cannot explain away. And in my journey with Jesus... Even though I grew up in a very conservative Christian background, I've seen things I cannot explain. Supernatural ways of God that I cannot explain. And I've seen him do this a lot in the mission field uh, or, or when he wants to bring other, other people to faith, right? Um, so I'm simply saying as a church, as, as a frozen chosen uh, background preacher, I want to encourage you to be open to the possibility 
of the move of God. Not everything has to be explained away. Not everything has to be like for you to be able to understand. But God does work in supernatural ways. And often in scripture, in Jesus' ministry, when he healed somebody, it was for others to come to faith. We see that pattern throughout not only the book of Acts, but also Jesus' ministry. But let's, but let me wrap up this about, saying this about the Holy Spirit. One of my, one of my favorite um, teaching concerning the Holy Spirit comes from Romans chapter 11. And Paul, in, in the book of Romans, he's unpacking uh, this deep theology about what it means to be Christian. Chapters 1 to 12 is really theological. And in the middle of this teaching, Romans 8, Paul reminds us, right, reminds the church, this is Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? He says he is the one, right, who raised Jesus from his grave. And that very same Spirit lives in each of us. Again, let me, let me repeat. Holy Spirit is the one who raised Jesus from the grave. And that very same Spirit, Paul says, lives in each of us. Friends, if those words of Paul does not profoundly impact or make you think about the power of Holy Spirit in your life, I don't know what would. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is actively at work in your life here and now. So what the scripture, what Paul is trying to tell us is that the Holy Spirit is not a distant force or someone who simply we acknowledge as part of the Trinity and we put away. In fact, he is a constant transformative presence in the life of every community and every believer. If we don't have the Holy Spirit guiding us, guiding our church, guiding your life, we are missing something very big in our faith. And, and friends, this is the gospel, and this is where we'll end. The spirit of the one who endured all things for you and I, the one who took on all of our sins and death itself, the same spirit who raised Jesus from his grave resides in each of you, in your struggles, in your hopes, in your challenges. And 2 Corinthians 4, I, I think Paul says it most beautifully about the power of the Holy Spirit, what it means for the believer and let's and I'll read this for us. Second Corinthians four, verse seven. And this is how he describes. This is what Paul says. Hey, this is what it means that Holy Spirit lives in you. He says, "We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed; perplexed, but not driven to despair; persecuted." but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our moral flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what was written what has been written, I believe, and so I speak. We also believe, so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase 
thanksgiving to the glory of the Father. So, friends, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Friends, this is what it means that the Holy Spirit lives in us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. I, I pray as you go on to your week, as you think about your challenges and joys and, and fears, we go with this. Not because we're great, we're capable, we're awesome. No, because the spirit that raised Jesus from, de- from the dead lives in each of us. Amen? Let's pray. Let me pray for us. Lord, we confess uh, some of us are really struggling with uh, different challenges that may be facing us. Some of us are simply have become apathetic towards you, Lord, uh, too comfortable in our lives. Maybe jaded by our past experience. But Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would renew us once again. Even this moment as we're sitting here, would you renew our spirit? Lord, for those of us that do not know what to say, how to pray, Lord, would you pray for us? Would you remind us once again that in you there's a resurrection power? And so we thank you, Lord, for all the wonderful things that the, the work you begin. We just continue to pray. You bring it to completion as you promise in your word. Just in we pray. Amen. Friends, we're going to.